If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Let's take our Bibles <laughs> and turn to, where are we? Acts. The book of Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We are in a part, I think this is part 11 of this series that we've been walking through the book of Acts. And we do this on Wednesday nights. This is where we go a little deeper in the scriptures and, um, and uh, just, just take our time walking through various books of the Bible. I thoroughly enjoy doing this. I hope you do too. I think you might because you come back. So that's, that's very encouraging that you came tonight to, to hear the word. But, um, and I want to say to all of you who are here for the very first time at One Cause Church, thank you for being here. You're welcome here any and every time. Um, we always have a seat for you. We feel like that um, anybody's here and we want you to come as you are. This is, this is God's, this is the place where God's people come and we experience him. And, you know, never underestimate this gathering. That's right. If you'll come with an expectation, then whatever level of expectation you come with, that will open up that capacity, that will be your capacity to receive, I should say. So always come expecting Amen. Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels. You know, come ready to meet with God because he's always eager and ready to meet with us and to, and to show us his love and his grace. And I'm forever grateful to this great God that we serve. Amen. Um, we're, we're going to Acts chapter, actually, let's go over to Acts chapter six. Um, we're gonna go down to about verse 13. We're about to look into a really interesting scripture here. While you're turning there, this, the past, the present, and the future walk into a bar. And then things got tense. Okay. Do I need to repeat it or should we just move on? I, I'm not too sure you got that one. Or maybe you just didn't think it was as good. I was telling Kayla Fer- uh, Ferguson, Kayla Griffith, sorry, I'll never make that mistake again. I telling Kayla, I said, my idea of a good joke response is when people look like they're in pain after you tell it to them. So she's like, no, they're supposed to laugh. That's actually the point of a joke. Oh. You know, of all the weapons of mass destruction in this world, none compare to the power of words. Words have built kingdoms. Words bring ideas, words created this world. God Almighty spoke in the very beginning and said, let there be light, and there was light. And the scripture teaches us in the book of Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. You know, I know a lot of us find ourselves in situations, good or bad, and if you really think about it, you talked yourself into that in a process of time. And the words of your life that come out of your mouth are guiding your life. That's right. So it's, it's very important that you weigh those things. Words are important. A lot of people don't think that words are important. Oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because we're made in the image of God. So that, that is we have God effect. When God speaks, things are created. The worlds were framed by the word of God. When we speak, we frame our world with our words. So... The good news is there's always another day. There's always another moment. If you don't like where you are, if you've talked yourself into a corner, you've talked yourself into a bad situation, 
begin to get some new words in your life. And God has given us his word to get into our, into our mouth. And when we begin to speak what God has said, not feel what God has said, but to say what God has said, to declare it, then our world begins to line up with that truth. Amen. So it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful thing. These words, and, and it's, it's uh, the, the book of James says that the tongue is an unruly evil. That's not very encouraging, is it? As a matter of fact, it says it's set on fire of hell and no man can tame the tongue. Well, what do we do then? Well, you have to bridle the tongue, as the scripture says. We have to bridle. We can't tame it. You remember, you've heard, you've heard dad talk about this before. This is a great, a great example, though. Anybody ever see the movie Racing Stripes with the zebra yeah. that raced? It's a great movie. Very improbable, but it was a cute movie. But this zebra... If you watch the movie and you've watched it carefully, they actually use several zebras in, in this movie because there's a truth about zebras that separates them from horses. Horses can be domesticated, horses can be broke, and they remember what they learned. But a zebra is wild at heart and wild in its mind. But you can actually break a zebra and ride it for one day. But when that zebra goes to sleep, it wakes up it's like you never put a saddle on. It has no memory whatsoever, and it's just as wild as it was. So you have to break the zebra every day. They have no memory for it. And so this is, this is, this is the tongue, your tongue, is a zebra in your mouth, all right? And you have to rein it in every day because it's not going to want to say nice things. It's not going to want to be friendly, especially first thing in the morning if you had not had coffee yet. I mean, it's just, it just wants to say these negative things. That we're just, we're just, that's how it is, right? right? So we have to work at being kind. Right. We have to work at, you know, calming ourselves down, not lashing out. We have to bridle that tongue and bring it under subject. But it can happen right. one day at a time, yeah. all right? What happened yesterday, your victories yesterday, that's great. But that's yesterday. Today's a new day, and you're going to have to get back on that zebra and break that thing, all right? Are you all right? And I'm saying that because we're, 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 we're setting something up here. In the book of Acts, we talked about Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven guys that was chosen by the apostles because there were some, there were some problems going on within this communistic kind of living that they were doing. People selling their homes and their lands, and they were all living basically just, you know, one commune. Everything, everybody had everything in common, but... As, as we know, there are problems that arise in situations like that, and they quickly came into a problem, and that, were, that was that these widows were disputing on who got more bread. Some of them were saying they were neglected in the distribution of the bread because they were Hellenistic Jews, and Hellenistic Jews were those who, who, who embraced the Greek culture, actually spoke the, spoke the Greek language, and those Jews who were more true to their tradition considered those people second-class citizens. They considered the Hellenistic Jews basically defectors, all right? So there was a lot of tension there between them. And so now this dispute arises. The apostles say, you know what? We've got, the church was just, I mean, it was really growing. So they were having to spend time studying the scriptures and praying. And they said, we don't have time to do all this. We need some help. So they found seven guys, two of them, Stephen and Philip, and the other, the other five guys you can read. And Stephen's one of these guys, right? So as he's serving these women, as he's trying to keep the peace among the people and just serving bread and doing just the humble assignment of, of, of that job, that God began to use him extraordinarily. That the scripture says that signs and wonders started happening through his life. He was laying hands on people and seeing them healed. He was casting devils out of people. He was, I mean, great things were happening. 
And we get down to verse 13 of Acts chapter 6. It says, and, and, and then the Jews got angry about Stephen's ministry going on. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. That is against the temple and the law. That is the Ten Commandments. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. All right, now go over to chapter 7. So now these accusations have been brought against Stephen that he's trying to basically dismantle Judaism, all right? So they bring him before the high priest. In Acts chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. Then the high priest said, are these things so, or is this true? So here's the test. Here's the big test. The regular scheme of these religious leaders is to catch people in their words. They tried to do it with Jesus. They tried to do it with Peter and James. And so now here they are with this younger, more inexperienced man. And so they're going to try to catch him in his words. Are these things true? Because they're waiting for him to say the wrong thing. They're looking down their noses at this young man who's full of the Holy Spirit who's full of faith and power, but they simply just regard him as nothing but a fool. But what they don't realize is when a believer is tested, he gets stronger. When a man that's full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith and power is tested, his voice gets louder. He becomes bolder. And he has the anointing that teaches him all things. It's in this moment when the pressure seems to be on that the Spirit's there to guide him into all truth. And Jesus said, don't be afraid when you stand before kings because the Holy Spirit's gonna give you words to say. And so there Stephen is, and the, the test is on. Is this true? That's why the book of James also says, hey, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance and let have patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So this is a great opportunity for this young man and for his life to go in a wonderful direction. I mean, they'd be a lot better off testing actual fools than Stephen or testing animals or whatever. I don't recommend testing animals because they get all nervous and get all the answers wrong. But look it down at verse 2. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, let me give you just something we're about to get into. We're going to read a big portion of scripture. This is a long message, all right? But, there's a, but he, Stephen is building on something here. And this is the only message recorded in the scripture that after it's done, they kill him for it. Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he, that is God, promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, God said. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham 
begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. Now, what Stephen is trying to get these, these men to understand, as they say, is this true, that you're trying to dismantle, you're speaking against the temple, and you're speaking against the law. So Stephen has to explain himself by going through Scripture, all right? And let me tell you something. This is actually extraordinary, an extraordinary account of the Scriptures, this guy speaks so much of the Old Testament word for word as he's standing there, you know that it has to be the Holy Ghost who's helping him right now. And it's amazing. And so he lays it out. And what he's saying to them was, this is before the temple was ever constructed, God was with Abraham. So God was not bound to a temple. God was with Abraham wherever he went. And then we also know that God was also with Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, as he also was with his son Isaac and with his grandson Jacob. So he's setting up something here. This is really wonderful. But when Jake, uh, let's see, 10, verse 10, and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, that is the 12 patriarchs, and the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family came, became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph, this man dwelt, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. And you remember, this is the, what God had spoken to Abraham when he was making covenant with him, that this event would happen, that his children, his descendants down the road would go into slavery and be bound for 400 years, all right? This is that moment that, that God told Abraham would happen. At this, at verse 20, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own. If you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, then you know this story. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver him by his hand, but they did not understand. So what happened was Moses is taking a stroll and sees one of his Hebrew brothers that was being beaten down by this Egyptian taskmaster, so he takes it upon himself to defend the Hebrew, beats up the Egyptian, beats him up so bad that he kills him, and then buries him in the sand. Verse 26, and the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. It's two Hebrew men fighting now. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, 
The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Again, what he's pointing these guys to here, God was with Abraham, God was with Joseph, and God is with Moses here long before any temple was made or constructed. God is not bound to a building. This this Moses... Uh, I have surely seen the oppression of my people, God's telling Moses, who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. God was with Abraham. God was with Joseph. God was with Moses. He was with them before, remember, before there was ever a temple. All right? Now, I know I'm reading lots of scripture here, but this, this is really powerful. Just stick with me here and, and stay tuned in. Verse 38, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. So Moses comes down off the mountain, right? You've seen the movie? Comes down off the mountain, has the Ten Commandments. Remember the Mel Brooks movie? When he has three tablets, the Lord has given 15, and one of them falls out of his hand and crumbles, 10 commandments. <laughs> Comes down, right? And it's, it's basically 10 simple rules, right? But he said when they saw those rules, they could not obey it. They did not obey those rules, even though the children of Israel told Moses, if you go up there and have your meeting with God, whatever he says to you, we will do it. Oh, the arrogance of man. And God said, yeah, we'll see about that. All right? Well, come to find out they couldn't keep 10 simple rules. All right? Verse, verse 40, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. There is the modus operandi of religion right there, rejoicing in the works of their own hands. Psalm 92 says, For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. Oh, Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. And religion is senseless and foolish when it simply defines man as being good by what he constructs with his own hands. Being righteous by what he can do with his own hands. And there is no greater deception in the world. That's what makes Christianity so much grander than all other religions of the world. It's actually opposite of all other religions of the world. It's not just one among many. It's completely opposite of all of them. Line them all up, and they all have basically one theme. Do good works with your hands. So in the end, it'll turn out good for you. But Christianity says nothing you can do will ever be good enough. So Jesus came and did it for you. He took all the blame for your sin. And if you'll believe on him, guess what? You get heaven. 
simply by faith. You cannot earn it. You can't work for it. All you can do is say, I accept that. I receive it. Now, that is incredible news that God loved us so much. He did everything on his part. He did all the work to get us into a place where we could live with him eternally. And all all he says to us is believe. It's that simple. You can't earn it, so stop trying. Religion's earning. Christianity is grace. I love it. Matthew chapter 7. I want to look at this for a moment and then we'll continue. Because I, want to, I just wanted just to remind us today just how important this is. Jesus is saying, talking about in the end, in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Listen what Jesus says. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. Wow. You see, when I was a kid, we had this preacher, and I love him, bless his heart. It was part of the denomination he came out of to preach this way. But he would say, see, just because you say Lord doesn't mean anything. He says many will say Lord in that day. Didn't we do all these things? And he's going to say, I'll never, I never knew you. And he, sit, and he would preach in such a way that I would sit there and go, so there's no surety. There's no assurance. So I could be saying all these things. I could say Jesus is Lord, and then, and then I might not be saying it right or something else, and then Jesus is just going to decide that, that nah, you weren't sincere enough. Right? So I was deathly afraid of God when I was a kid. And the preacher would call everybody up to the altar just to make sure one more time. Right? I don't know how many times I asked Jesus into my heart. I mean, he is so in my heart by now. I have (laughs) just such religious ignorance. Just legalism. Just Just to make the preacher feel good that he had a full altar. Rather than preaching the truth. Jesus said, the scripture says in in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus isn't contradicting that. Listen to what Jesus says. Let's slow it down. Look at verse 22 again, Matthew 7, 22. Let's just watch. This is talking about the very last day when we all stand before God. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, one day too late to say, Lord, Now you want to say, Lord, well, it's too late now because here you are standing before the judge and now all of a sudden you want to say, Lord. When we see plenty of times throughout scripture where where people said, Lord, and they were immediately delivered from their sin, the thief on the cross in his dying words, hanging there next to Jesus, he had fully received the justice for what he had done for his crimes. I mean, he deserved to be on that cross. Jesus didn't deserve to be there, but that thief next to him, right? He spent all of his life in crime. And there he was paying the payment of it. And he has the audacity to look over at Jesus and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Matter of fact, Jesus, I'll give you the rest of my life. That's like two and a half minutes. But you got me, right? Jesus doesn't go, oh, now you come to me. He doesn't, he never does it. He fully, he he turns to this man and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Because our God has wide open arms 
to mankind. It's the church, sadly, that's, trying, that's keeping people out of the kingdom of God. So much of the church are, are making it so difficult for people to enter the kingdom when Jesus' arms are open. Come to me. I'll take you. And when you confess him as Lord, everything in your life changes. But this is talking about a day when it's too late to confess Jesus as Lord. There is a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some of them are going to say it too late, though. And then they say, but then there's, there's, then there's just another false religion going on here. It's so sad when they say, have we not to stand before God Almighty and begin to act like what you've done counts. So they're not even trying to say, Jesus, you're the one that saved me. I couldn't save myself. Oh, Lord, I got, I mean, I did these things, so that'll be some kind of point system. I mean, come on, give me some credit here. Don't, God, don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because it wasn't sin, a sinning that, kept, that was keeping us out of heaven. You know, it was not the actions of men that kept that keep men out of heaven. It's the condition of men. All right? It's the condition. So if, if, the, if the works, if your evil works, if your evil works cannot condemn you to hell, neither can your good works get you to heaven. All right? It's the condition of man. You were just born into it. So Jesus came and changed our condition. He became sin and we became righteousness. It's a powerful thought. Amen. So we just have to fully rely then on his grace. Okay, we got to keep moving. Are you with me? I hope, this is, I hope this is encouraging you. Verse 42, when God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness? Oh, house of Israel. You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan. I don't have time to get into those, those gods and the kind of sacrifices they made, but they were horrific, all right? Images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. So here it is again, now before the temple of Solomon, now we see that God is with all of these that we talked about. He was also with Joshua, and he's also with David. And David gets this thought, I want to get, build God a house. I want to build God a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, this is Isaiah chapter 66, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? In other words, I have made myself a place to dwell. There is no man on earth that can fashion a work with his own hands that can contain God. And Stephen makes sure to cover the three most important things to these Jewish, Jewish leaders of this time. Number one, land. Talked about Abraham and this promised land that God had promised him. Talked about the, the law, which is very important to them, that, that they hung over everybody's heads and made sure that everybody was keeping every T uh, uh, cross and every dot uh, I dotted. 
And then also the temple, all right? So the, law, the land, the law, and the temple. The land was promised to those who believe. And what Stephen is standing there telling these Jewish leaders are, here we are in captivity again under Roman oppression because yet again, you've disobeyed God. The law was given, and guess what? You couldn't obey it. The temple was built, but this was not God's idea. God has made us his temple. We have church buildings, not because that's where God lives. We have buildings because God dwells in people. And when God's people come together, we experience him in a corporate gathering. This building is important only because you're here. Hallelujah. When we leave tonight and the doors are locked up, if you were to come back up to the building, you would not find God with his face pressed up against the front glass door saying, come back again and see me. See you on Sunday. Because here's the thing. That kind of mentality is that this is where God is helps people excuse their lifestyle outside of church. So they'll just go do whatever they go, Well, God's in the house. So I, while I'm living out here doing whatever I want to do, but when it comes to church Sunday, I'll make everything right with the Lord. I'll make peace with the man upstairs. <laughs> right? So there's no lifestyle. It's just simply a religious duty. Sunday is a religious duty rather than life. Hmm? This is just an expression one more expression of our life, live for God. That right. we come together, but oh, the power that's known when we all come under one roof. But watch, now Stephen turns up the heat. He's giving them all the history. He's letting them know, I know the scriptures, guys. And he has laid it out so beautifully for them. Verse 51, he turns it on them. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And I think he probably sounded a little bit like John Holler when he got to this part, got red-faced and went all Pentecostal on him. <laughs> Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. I mean, he is just driving it in right now. Who have received the law by direction of angels and you haven't kept it? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth at him. You know what gnashing the teeth is? All right. Okay, these are religious leaders. These are, these are men of the cloth, right? Can you imagine seeing them all of a sudden just like, <laughs> right? Like, what the heck? But he, Stephen, he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, the thing about the Holy Ghost, he's always going to point you to Jesus. Hallelujah. He's always going to show you him. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When they, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Now this has gone loony. All right? First of all, they're gnashing their teeth at him. But then, look what they do. It says that they cried with a loud voice, 
stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. I've seen that. I've seen kids do that. This is what they do. I mean, let's just get the picture. These church leaders. What's wrong with you freaks? And they ran at him with one accord. They only had one car, apparently. <laughs> and they cast. <laughs> and they cast. <laughs> That's so stupid. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. And they, verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. These guys are taking off their jackets so they can throw the rocks as hard as they can. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, this is incredible. This is the grace of God right here. These, these men who turned into savages all of a sudden and started taking this young man's life from him. For what? Because he's preaching freedom? And they began to hurl stones at him. And instead of cussing them out, instead of fighting back, he has his eyes full of Jesus and he says this, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I would, I would like to think I would say something like that in a moment like that, but the way I think right now, not a chance. But I would, hope, I would like to think that I could be that gracious in a moment like that. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The grace and forgiveness flowed from Stephen the moment he caught a glimpse of Jesus. He went from you stiff-necked, rebellious, always resisting the Holy Spirit. When he saw Jesus, he said, oh, Father, forgive them. Don't lay this charge against them. What was that? How did he go from that, rah, that passionate preaching to just, I mean, nail a call? I mean, it was right in doing it, to getting his eyes full of Jesus. Because when he saw Jesus, he saw that man that hung up on that cross, that as they were mocking him, crying out, save yourself, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As his innocent blood poured out of him, Stephen said, I got to be like him. He got his eyes full of Jesus. He just started acting like him. Even as his enemies were crushing him with those rocks, don't lay this charge against them. This right here makes me think. Makes me think of our cause. Makes me think of why we're here. What are we here for? We have this message this message of forgiveness that changed all of our lives. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we take time aside to, go come, to come and worship God because we cannot get over his forgiveness and his grace and his love. God, why would you love me like that? Why would you forgive me? After all that I've done, I've said, I've thought, those wretched thoughts that I've allowed to go through my mind, and yet you still love me, and yet you forgive me, and yet you show me grace. Why would he be like that? I don't have any idea. I'm just glad he is. Amen. We are here 
not to judge who's worthy of heaven, but to remember that Jesus is worthy. And his blood was shed for all, say that with me, all mankind, all of us. We need to have this mission burning in our hearts. That is, we want Jesus to do everything within our power to help Jesus receive what he purchased with his blood. To get his reward, the only right thing is that he gets what he purchased. I want justice. I believe that those who terrorize others in this world need justice. I do. I think what happened in Boston, I think this young man, as sad as it is, I think he deserves to die. But I, don't, but I don't want to see him go to hell. He needs to encounter Jesus. He just needs to go see him earlier than normal for what he did. But we don't want anyone going to a Christless eternity. Let's not forget we're Christians before we're Americans. Amen? America's not a religion. It just happens to be the greatest nation on earth, and thank God we live here. But we have this cause. Jesus paid a price, and we've got to help him get his reward. And souls are his reward. People are his reward. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. None of us deserved it. You didn't deserve it any more than Osama bin Laden deserves it. Any Any more than Hitler deserves it. You just think of the worst kind of person out there, and you were just as lost as they were. Just as lost. Because it was not our actions, it was our condition that needed changing. Amen. And so God said, okay, I can fix this. Jesus became sin so that all men could be made righteous, could become righteousness. And change us, the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone, new things have come. So what we needed was another experience at being born. That's why we call it being born again. Born of the Spirit. That that I'm looking at tonight is born of your mama. But you're born of the Spirit when you're born of God. Amen. Let's remember that. Remember that cause. Remember everyone needs to hear those incredible words that save men's lives. Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again from the dead three days later. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, don't lay this charge against them. And we're gonna see next time, next Wednesday. Well, no, it won't be next Wednesday. I'll be in. We're doing a night of worship next Wednesday. It's going to be great. But the next time we get into this, I should say, we're going to see that God answered Stephen's prayer. The first two words of chapter 8, now Saul. Cannot wait to get into that. It's going to be wonderful. Let's bow our heads for a moment if we would. We're about to get out of here. If we would just... Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want us to just think about what the things we've heard tonight and just, just, let's just get still before the Lord for a moment. Everybody in this room is at a different place in their life. But the thing that we all find in common, 
That's one thing I love about the church. There's so many different lives that are represented. Racially, economically, genderly. (laughs) There's so much diversion. But yet we all find this commonality. And that is that we all need the grace of God. One of my favorite songwriters is a guy by the name of Bono who uh, has this great band name called U2. And Bono said, if everything is about karma, then I'm a hopeless person. But yet God gives grace. And grace is unearned. It's undeserved favor from God. Karma says you do this and you get that. What goes around comes around. I don't want what's coming around. So I need grace to come and rescue me from what's coming. And God is willing and able. Already was willing and was able. When Jesus Christ came born of a virgin and laid in a manger in a trough in a barn so that he would identify with the humblest of people and grew up and became strong in God and walked this earth physically, walked this earth. The scripture says the word became flesh. God became a man. And he still is a man seated next to his father. He is God and he is man. And he's praying for you tonight. He's praying for you. And on his body are these marks, these scars where he was cut, where he was pierced, where he was beaten, where he was crushed for your sins so that you could be made whole. You don't have to bear the same penalty Jesus did. All you have to do is receive by faith that he did it for you. Tonight, I want to ask you a simple question. Are you here tonight void of, your, of a relationship with God? Are you here tonight and you're empty inside and your heart's crying out for this love and this grace and this peace that I've talked about tonight? Only God can fill the void. All of us were born with a God-shaped void. And people try to fill it with all kinds of things, but find out that it never works. They just find themselves more empty, more hopeless, and more lost. Only God can do it. He's the perfect fit. And he wants to. He wants you. He loves you. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor Eric, I want to surrender to God tonight. I I want to give him my life. I understand. And I believe tonight that Jesus died for me. I've heard that he died for the world, but tonight I'm accepting that truth personally, that he died for me, that he died for my sins, all my shortcomings, all my failures. I need his forgiveness. And I'm receiving him tonight. If you're here tonight, if that's you, just lift a hand. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. You want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior 
and, and receive a whole new life, a whole new start. This is for you. Don't depend on yourself anymore. Don't walk out of here tonight without his grace, without his strength in your life. It's a simple, it's just a simple act of faith on your part. I believe he died for me. I believe he was buried and I believe he rose again. Are you here tonight? Say, Pastor Eric, pray for me. I need God. I want to be saved tonight. I want to know that when this life is over, that I, I for sure will be in heaven with him. Or maybe you're here tonight as well, and you're like the prodigal son. You at one time had surrendered your heart to God, but you find yourself going down a path that you have not invited him to walk down. Even though at one time you've acknowledged him, oh, and you might say a prayer now and then, but you really, and you know it, if you're honest, you really haven't invited him into the every day of your life. But tonight you want to say, Pastor Eric, that's me. I'm like the prodigal son. Tonight I want to come back to my father's house. Tonight I want to receive all of his benefits for my life. I want him. I need him every step of my life. Are you here? Let me just lift your hand. I'll pray for you as well. Pray for you, Father. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I thank you right now for all of these who have raised their hands to touch you tonight, to contact you, to say, God, that's me. I need you. And I thank you that you're here with wide open arms saying, I'll take you. I'll take you just like you are. Can we all just say this prayer together? Just say, God, tonight I surrender to you. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And I believe that he is in me now. And that all my sins are washed away. From this day on, I belong to him. He's with me every day of my life. Jesus, I'm yours. Take your place on the throne of my heart. You are Lord. You are my Savior. I need you. Thank you for your abundant grace. From this day forward, I'm with you, and you are with me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Let's stand together tonight. All right. Let me just remind you, this Saturday morning, meet at the Albertsons parking lot at Virginia and Stonebridge at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock or earlier, yeah. Come earlier and hang out and talk and we'll, we'll go on a prayer walk together and uh, that'll be a wonderful time. And also Sunday morning is Mother's Day. Alright, so bring your mama, or if you're a mama here, bring your family. Let's fill this place up and have a great time. We're going to have a, a wonderful time Sunday morning. I'm very excited about it. Alright, and also remember that you continue to give online to our India team. You can give online or you can give here as well. Uh, we're still accepting donations for our trip. Got all of our flights booked. And uh, so we like a, a few things as far as funds go. So uh, if the Lord moves on your heart, please donate, give. If he doesn't move on your heart, please give, donate. You know, do it. <laughs> I think he always moves on hearts to give. So I think it's always his will. Uh, you can go online. If you want to 
do it specifically for India, go to our website, onecausechurch.com, and make sure that you indicate it's for the India team. All right, and we'll make sure that all that gets taken care of. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Brandon, come and dismiss our fine family tonight. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.